0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, and I'm very excited for another backwoods creepy themed, basically anything scary that can happen to you in the woods while either camping, hiking, going on a trail, hiding in the woods with your friends, that type of vibe. Anything in the woods that's terrifying, we've got it here. So very excited. I wanted to forewarn you guys that I did get COVID halfway through recording. I record on different days, so the first four or five stories are going to be flawless as always. And the second half, I will sound a little bit different. Still great. I probably wouldn't have said anything, but it's pretty noticeable to me. Maybe you guys won't notice, but anyway, I'm doing good and just wanted to forewarn you. So without further ado, let's get into it. This happened about six years ago, if I'm remembering the year correctly. I'm pretty sure I was 11 at the time. It was time for my first ever overnight stay at a summer camp, and I was pretty excited. This particular camp had a system where it normally functioned as a day camp, but there was one night each week where kids would stay overnight. I was a socially awkward kid, so I had avoided these overnight stays as much as possible. But this one time, I decided to be brave and have some fun and try it myself. Only after did I regret it. Before I explain what happened, I'll briefly give an outline of the camp. It was situated near the shore of an isolated lake, which had very few houses on it. My camping group decided to take advantage of that and agreed to set up a few feet from the shore in a small clearing located near a small path. Much of the shoreline was walled off by low lying thorny underbrush, including the area we were in. So, flash forward to nighttime. We've set up our tents and sleeping bags, we've eaten our s'mores, and we've set up our sleeping arrangements. I'm in a large tent with three other boys, sitting a few feet off from the path that ran through the clearing. We whisper among ourselves, talking about the best camp activities, crushes, the nicest counselors, you know, usual summer camp stuff. We're just about to say our goodnights when we hear the faint hum of a motor coming from the lake. It's unusual for people to be out late at night on a motorboat on a small, isolated lake. But we initially blow it off as being some person fishing. However... The noise grows louder, and I begin to hear what sounds like drunk people cackling. At first, this isn't scary for me. I assume it's just drunk people having some late night summer fun, and my tent mates agree. They try to ignore it, but we started getting nervous when the cackling and chatter quieted. I hear the engine shut off, and it sounds like the people were quietly disembarking at the camp's fishing dock, which was a few hundred feet away. For a couple of minutes after, I hear total silence. We were terrified. Two of my tent mates are completely still while the other is fidgeting and shaking. Looking back on it, it wasn't even like this should have been especially scary, but something felt distinctly off about the whole situation. My gut instincts were right. I started hearing slow, methodical footsteps creeping slowly along the path. And it's clear this intruder is intent on being as quiet as possible, but it's easy to hear when someone's walking in a forest full of sticks, mud, and leaves. I'm listening to their steps as they approach our campsite at a painfully slow pace, when suddenly, they stop and grunt. At this point, it's clear that it's one, a man, Two, not a person who should be here. Three, someone who was watching us when we set up our campsite. Because there was no way he could have known where we were without watching us from another part of the lake. The man stands for what feels like an eternity before he begins to move again. But the sounds I hear terrify me. He's moving toward my tent. All my tentmates are laying completely still Mortified, but not moving a muscle. He approaches our tent, walking right up to it so that we can see the silhouette of his legs outlined by the faint moonlight. He stands for another few seconds, then places his fingers on the tent, and he drags it across the tent, then begins to walk. The man traces the entire perimeter of the tent with one finger. He holds it there for a few seconds after, then grunts again and slowly walks to another tent. My tent mates are terrified and we're all looking at each other like deer in headlights. We hear him move from tent to tent and walking around each one with each trace feeling like it took longer than the last. Finally, he walks slowly back to the path, grunts once more and walks away quickly in the direction he came. A few minutes later, I hear the motor on the boat starting up before hearing its sound fade into the distance. The counselors who slept through the ordeal were convinced that we were faking the incident to prank them. Those of us who reported it to them were ignored and that is something I hold against that camp to this day. I still don't know what happened with the other people on the boat, where they went or why one of them even came to our campsite in the first place. But creepy, summer camp stalker person, people, let's not meet. I live in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in Northeast Georgia. It's a beautiful area with hundreds of miles of national forest and some great state parks and a ton of fantastic camping places. Unfortunately, my hometown is also relatively poor. While there are some out of town residents from Atlanta and other places, a lot of people where I live are really poor. I do freelance work as a technical writer so I can do most of my work online. And if I didn't have that going for me, I'd have to move somewhere else. It's just one of those small towns that'll rob you of your ability to accomplish anything in life if you stay there too long, without anything else going on for you at least. Excluding a handful of doctors and lawyers and Georgia Power Company employees, the only employment in the area is at Walmart, fast food, and a couple of grocery stores. To the east of my town, there's a massive national forest. It's loaded with great camping sites and lots of relatively unused hiking trails. I really enjoy hiking on them with my dog, but it can be a bit unnerving experience sometimes. It's about a 10 mile drive from town and there's no cell phone service or homes for miles. In the past, there have been a lot of vehicle break-ins at the trailheads the gravel parking lot set. Some of them glitter with bits of broken glass from what I'm guessing were car windows. Sometimes there are really shifty people hanging around these trailheads or just driving around on the forest service roads. These are really rough roads and you'll see these beat up $500 cars just barreling along roads meant for a four by four. Some of the people you see in the cars look like the guy that got crushed by an ATM and Breaking Bad. All that being said, it's still a great place to camp. However, you just have to be careful. A few years ago, two of my friends and I decided to go play paintball in the National Forest. Probably not legal, I know. We decided to turn the paintball expedition into a camping trip so that we could play the next morning too. After a pretty uneventful day of shooting paintballs at each other, we drive a couple of miles to one of the more popular camping spots. Unfortunately, a church group or something had taken up all the spots in that area. This was really the only camping spot that we were familiar with, and it was getting pretty late. So we decided to just keep looking, and we drove for about an hour further and further into the woods. By this time, it's getting dark and we're getting a bit worried about finding a spot. We all had GPS on our smartphones, but none of us had any service. We turn off onto an unfamiliar road that isn't in very good shape. In fact, it looks like the Forest Service Rangers used a backhoe to block off the road with a mound of dirt. A broken metal barrier lay in the woods nearby. That said, it looks like four by four vehicles had been going over the mound, so it was pretty worn down. our F-150 had pretty high clearance so we decided to go over the mound. There was an old gravel road on the other side and the road was pretty much clear of debris. We drove a few miles down this road and came across an opening next to a small creek. There were some blue tarps hanging over a plywood table nailed to a tree, which seemed kind of odd. That said, it was pretty much dark at this point and we didn't want to keep driving around all night looking for a camping spot. So we left the truck light running and we set up the tent. As we were setting up the tent, I started to notice that there was a lot of trash in the woods surrounding the site. I see a green bottle laying on the ground and I take a look at the label and see that it's a bottle of Home and Garden insecticide. I was really tired at the time and just thought that someone had been dumping their home garbage out here. none of us thought it was weird that someone would be dumping garbage in an area that is more than an hour from the nearest home. We set up camp, had some beer, and made chili from scratch. By this time, it was probably around 11 p.m. As we're eating, we notice a faint glow from the other side of a nearby hill. At first, we thought it was just moonlight filtering its way through the trees, but the angles didn't make sense. It didn't seem to be a bright light, and it wasn't moving. It was kind of like that glow you see over a bright city. We couldn't see the light source itself, though. Since there were no other access roads in the area, we decided it wasn't other campers and the hill was about a quarter of a mile from our campsite, so we decided to go investigate. Under normal circumstances, I know I wouldn't have done so. However, we all had had a few rum and cokes in our stomachs, and two of us, Jacob and I, decided to take a look. My other friend, Isaac, decides to stay behind to pop some popcorn over the fire. We start walking towards the light source, and the situation gets even stranger. All the trees in the area have their bark knocked off in a circle around their trunks. We thought it could have been the work of a beaver that lived in the creek, but it seemed strange that a beaver would go around all these trees and just knock the bark off in a circle. Jacob and I started talking about the ghost beaver in pretty loud voices, probably due to our drunkness. And as we're almost to the top of the hill, Jacob tripped and yelled, oh shit. A few seconds after he yelled, the light, whatever it was, went out. We look at each other and decide that maybe we don't need to see what the light was after all. We walk back in silence, keep looking back every few seconds. We decide to turn off our flashlight and just use the moonlight to get back to our campsite. When we get a couple of hundred feet from the campsite, I see my other friend, Isaac, walking around the campsite. He was wearing a hooded coat that I hadn't seen him wearing before. And for some reason, he's carrying his paintball gun around in his hand. That seemed a little odd and we said to each other, what the hell? The fire had started to die down so we couldn't see our campsite very well. And at this point, we probably had been gone for almost an hour from the distance, it looked like Isaac was looking for something. He kept walking around the site and was peering in the tent. When we were almost back to the campsite, we saw Isaac walk up the road we came in on, and we figured that he was going to go use the bathroom and didn't want to wander through the woods like us. When we got back, we sat next to the fire and waited for Isaac to come back. All of a sudden, we see him lurch out of the tent. He stumbles a few feet and vomits. After he left, he told us he had had a few more rum and cokes. We ask him why he kept wandering around the campsite with a paintball gun, and he gets a strange look on his face. They're locked up in the cab of the truck. Did you unlock it? We go and check the truck, enter the door code, and see all of our paintball equipment just as we had left it before. The keys to the truck were still hidden in a magnetic fob underneath and I get a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Isaac, what were you doing after we left? Um, I was watching a movie on my phone, then I fell asleep, I guess. But you were walking around with your paintball gun, right? Did you just change jackets? Isaac said that he had been in the tent since we left and that he'd been wearing the same unhooded fleece all night. Someone had been walking around our campsite, and it wasn't Isaac. At this point, all of us are way too drunk to drive, but we decide to go ahead and pack up and go back to my house for the night. We don't even bother packing up the tent. We just fold it down with the sleeping bags and everything in it. We hop in the F-150 and I start to drive out. When we get to the dirt hump, we see something gray blocking our path. The metal barrier that had been lying in the woods earlier is now back on its stand, right on top of the hump. By this point, all of us have sobered up to the situation and no one wants to get out of the car to try to move the barrier. I had a metal guard on the front of my F-150, so I drive forward slowly, tapping the metal barrier with the front of my truck. It falls right off. It must have just been balanced on top and we drive over it slowly. We were terrified that it would pop one of the truck's tires as we drove over it, but it didn't. As we drive down the road, we see a vehicle following us with its lights off. It's probably a thousand feet behind us, but we keep catching glimpses of it as the moon reflects light off of it. I start to drive as fast as I can on the Forest Service Road, and the other vehicle keeps pace. It doesn't get any closer, though. It just stays one or two turns behind us. We can only see it when the road straightens out. After about 45 minutes of speeding along gravel roads, we finally make it back to the main paved road. I start to drive everyone back to my house, but I decide to go a different way just to be safe. So I didn't get pulled over for a DUI. And luckily I didn't. Camping can be fun, but very rural camping can be dangerous. I've driven past that metal barrier since that time, but it's always been in place. I will never go back down that road again. my cousin and I live pretty close to each other in the suburbs of Detroit. We both love photography and taking long drives, listening to music. So that's exactly what we did on this particular day. We drove about an hour north to a small town and found an abandoned barn that was also for sale at the time we didn't spot any trespassing signs. So we decided to be adventurous and go check it out. Big mistake. The barn was in semi-decent condition, although the paint had begun to peel off. Structurally, it was pretty sound though, so I didn't feel uneasy about going in. I'm an avid urban explorer in Detroit and had been in far worse buildings. Once we got inside, we somehow ended up in the basement of this barn, and I immediately was getting some weird ass vibes. There were little girls' clothes, toys, and furniture littered through the basement of this barn. I thought it was creepy as hell, and so did my cousin. Before I continued, behind the barn was a pretty decent-sized cornfield. And this cornfield backed up right to the barn, so we decided to be artsy and take a few pictures in the cornstalks. I snap a few shots of my cousin, and we decide it's time to head back to the car. Walking through the first row of corn on my way back to my cousin's car, I see a vertebra in the dirt. At this point, I stop dead in my tracks in disbelief, like is this actually what I think it is or is this like an animal bone of some kind? I start looking around and fuck, there are several more. They were way too big to be deer. I yell for my cousin who was almost back to the car and have her take a look. We both start really examining the ground and we keep finding more and more bones. Now, for the record, I've taken a cadaver lab and human anatomy in college, so I'm very familiar with the human body. We found a fibula and a fully intact femur. That's when I really started to freak the fuck out. We decided to call the cops because we knew this was serious. We waited in the car for a good 15 minutes totally freaking out until the cops arrive. Once the cops came, there were two. We all started looking through the corn in nearby trash pile. The cops I don't think believed us and I distinctly remember them saying they thought it was a deer carcass. That was until I found a full fucking rib cage in the trash pile and they changed their tune real quick. The cops told us that they would need us to leave and that they were calling a full forensic team out to start collecting evidence. We were totally shaken up. On the way out, I did see a no trespassing sign and I'm sure the cops did too, but if they did, they didn't care. We gave the cops our information, but we never did hear anything from them. I also watched the news pretty closely for the next few weeks and didn't see anything. This was one of the most creepy things that I've ever experienced. This was about four or five-ish years ago. Back then, I lived with my mother in a shed on a farm surrounded by woodland. Our farmland was part of a larger piece of farmland that was split up and sold off So we did have neighbors, though they were roughly half a kilometer away each. We loved that because of the privacy. It wasn't like there was nobody nearby I couldn't go to if I needed help. That thought is what had me fearlessly walking alone at night between the hours of seven and 8 p.m., sometimes fluctuating from earlier to later depending on the day. Sometimes I even went out on a walk at 2 a.m. in the morning because I was restless and couldn't sleep. Looking back, this was incredibly stupid, and after this incident, I never walked after 6 p.m. ever again, always making sure there was at least some sunlight left when I set out. The route I always took was a road circuit. The first part was out in the open in front of all the other farms, including my own. And if anything had happened, at least one person would have noticed and reception was pretty good. So I would have been able to call somebody. The second half, on the other hand, was concealed by almost 200 meters of woods between the farms and the back road, stretching the full two kilometers at the back of the farm. And it was during that part of the walk when I had this creepy encounter. It was late at night. I can't remember what time exactly, but it was pitch black with the exception of my torchlight. I was about to approach the turn in the loop that would bring me out into the open again when I heard it. Help. It was this monotone voice that repeatedly kept asking for help. It didn't seem panicked in the least. I took my headphones out and turned my music off to make sure I was hearing correctly. But it didn't stop. Help. Help. A very stupid part of me almost responded because, for some reason, my first instinct was, Oh no, someone's in trouble. Like a naive kid, even though I would have been like 16 or 17 at the time. Of course, then my brain kicked in and I realized that approaching. That voice was just about the stupidest thing I could do, so I started quietly backing away. Unfortunately, my cat had followed me on the walk and wasn't backing away with me. No, she was walking towards the voice, softly hissing. I remember desperately trying to get her to come back towards me without alerting the voice to my presence, just in case they hadn't noticed me yet, but I was getting scared and didn't want to stay there a moment more, so I ran forwards and grabbed her, then turned around and bolted back toward my house. I don't know if it was stupid of me to turn my back to the voice, as I was making so much noise while running that there was no way they didn't know I was there, and I had no way of knowing if they were giving chase. It was so fucking terrifying that whole time, the image of someone cloaked in shadows chasing me entered my mind, and even though I couldn't hear anyone behind me, I never once slowed down until I was back safe and sound within my house. It doesn't end there, though. Despite how terrifying it was, there was still a part of me that was concerned about whoever it was. Because, I mean, what if they had needed help? So, I asked my mother to drive us to the location. Another very stupid decision considering what we found. That being nothing. We called out and called out. Nobody answered. We didn't get out of our car though. And luckily, neither of us were that stupid. We drove home having seen nothing and no one. But it still bothered me in the morning. So, I had my mother drive us over again and we searched the immediate area. Nothing. No indication that anyone had been there. There was no body, which admittedly was a drastic thing to search for, but I know shock can leave you eerily calm, which could have explained the monotone voice and the lack of response afterwards that made me fear that we'd been too late and that we'd find a body in the morning. I don't know if I would have preferred this outcome because at least then I would have had a face to the voice. But no, we found absolutely nothing. And to this day, I have no idea who that voice belonged to and why they were calling out for help. My mind has naturally come to some chilling conclusions and theories that leave me unable to sleep. Rapist, kidnapper, serial killer, all the classic horror stories. But I guess I'll never really know for sure. I was hiking in the Olympic National Forest a few years ago by myself and with my two dogs. We were four days in, around 20 miles at least as a crow flies from even a known mountain road. As I was camping at around 7K feet that night, or right where the tree line started thinning out. So when we got to the campsite, a big open meadow on top of a secondary mountain, it was about an hour from sunset. My big dog usually runs around within proximity of the camp as I put the tent up, make dinner, etc. But I noticed this time was a little different. He kept staring up at the steep, tree filled mountainside, tail straight up and barking. Not the bark when he sees marmots, not the excited, oh, OUMFers are lucky because I'd rip you all apart if my master wasn't here, high pitched barks, but unsure, concerned barks. Now the day before I had found a note left under a rock at the last landmark saying that there was a problem bear in the area that was harassing a party of campers a few days ago. And I myself had seen big cat tracks the day before. So I was rightfully concerned that this may be more than just ground squirrels. I decided to go climb some of the boulders at the foot of the hill when I took my time looking up the hillside for movement before I went to go hang my bear bag up there. They were the only trees around to hang the bag. I didn't see, hear anything, but my dog kept quietly whining like there was something up there. So while still concerned, I started hiking up this steep hill to hang the bag. It was so steep, I had to use the trees to balance and lean against so I didn't go tumbling down before making another five to six step push to the next tree I could lean against. Anyway, I'm slowly making it up this hill ridge, hopping from tree to tree to keep my balance. Then I get about 100 feet up the hill, and I hear a whole lot of big movement about 50 feet in front of me. My dog immediately goes from a deep low growl to a savage slobber flying everywhere type barking now. My heart starts pounding out of my chest and I start to panic. A million thoughts go racing through my head in this matter of seconds, because if this is a bear, my dog is going to try to save me, in which he will most likely die. And I'm stuck here. If I have to get off this hillside fast, I almost 100% am going to trip and fall on the 12 to 15 foot cliff onto the boulders below, like one hundreds of five to 20 feet boulders so I'm feeling pretty screwed about now. Then I hear my other little dog barking and freaking out down at my campsite, which was just out of sight. I had zipped her in my tent so she didn't wander off while I was away. So yeah, I'm absolutely panicked at this point. A few seconds after, I kind of snap back to it and I take another few steps to start to put my survival priorities in order and call my dog back to me. Loki, by the way. He comes and sits against my feet as my back is against a tree, so I'm kinda pinned, stuck there for the moment. But my dog was seemingly trying to separate me from something up there, so I let him lean against me while I try to collect myself. This is when I realized I had completely forgotten that I had my headlamp on. I reach up so fast to turn my lamp on, I basically punched myself in the face. I'm having some serious adrenaline dumps going right now, so much so that my knees are starting to shake. I get my lamp on and peer up the hillside. I figure I'll at least get a reflection off the eyes of whatever is up there. Peering. Peering. Nothing. But I had just heard something. We both did. And whatever it was, it didn't get away. Or sound like it had made it too far. I knew something was up there, so I'm kind of just dead fast at this point. I need to know what is up there because I have to sleep here tonight. You know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere alone. Better to face it than wait like a sitting duck all night is my thought process. So yeah, as I'm looking up this hill and at one point my dog lunges forward, unpinning me, he does a fake bluff charge up the hill about 15 feet. And I mean, he is snarling and foaming at the mouth at this point. As he does this, I finally see movement. Something moving and breaking the line of the horizon or sunset. My dog's bluff made whatever it was blow its cover. So I'm finally zeroed in. I call my dog back and silently watch. And what I make out made my whole heart completely drop. There was a man crouched about 75 feet directly in front of me. Wearing not camo clothes, but some raggedy shit with the hood that blended into the environment perfectly. Actually, almost like a makeshift guile suit, but with his face exposed. I couldn't see his eyes, and his face was covered in dirt or something, but I knew we were staring right at each other at that moment. So I stare for what seems like minutes, no words. I felt like I was trying to subconsciously convey that I was going to stand my ground. I wanted him to know I saw him, but I guess I was just too shaken to speak. As I'm staring, my little dog back at the campsite started to bark her head off again, like she was scared, and also had to get off that hill before total dark, where I could be seriously hurt, risk dying, trying to get back down so carefully. I start heading down the hill with my dog, who doesn't want to leave, but listens. Periodically, I would stop with my back against a tree holding me up and look in that direction again, just to make it even more clear that I saw him. And eventually, I make it down to the boulders at the bottom. By the time I finally jumped down and hit the boulders, my little dog had stopped barking. I could only see the top of my tent from the bottom of the boulders. I thought she was barking just to bark dachshunds do that or just barking back at my dog but when I get there my little dog had somehow gotten out of the tent and was walking around the camp growling her tail sticking straight out still trying to hold it together I thought okay maybe she just got her nose between the zippers and worked her way out but I was positive I had zipped it so the zipper top openings was at the very top of the tent door out of reach so, in a mixture of being terrified, pissed off, and the feeling of needing to do something, I reached into my day bag and pulled out my .40. I fired a single shot into the air as the sun was setting, climb into my tent without eating and lay with my gun next to me until first light. As soon as the sun came up, I was packing up my shit and leaving, heading back down the mountain. It sucks. It was all downhill back, but I still couldn't cover the ground to get back to my car in one day. It was dark by the time I made it to the last camp, about four miles from my vehicle. But thankfully, there were other people there. We sat around a fire they made, and I felt pretty relieved and safe. They start to tell me that they are planning to head that way where I was the night before in the morning. So I tell them my story in detail. Needless to say, we were both walking back to our cars in the morning screw all of that. The thing that still creeps me out to this day is when I got home and started reading reviews of the same hike that I was on. Other people had had similar experiences like mine as well. Even a man found dead from a fall around the same boulder range two years ago. And a woman found murdered last year. This story occurred in the summer of 2008. I grew up in Oregon and was acquainted with the outdoors at an early age. My favorite hobby came to be hiking, particularly in areas that are either very dangerous or isolated. The health benefits of hiking were secondary to the thrills of walking the edges of exposed cliffs, being in cougar and bear territory, and knowing that I was far from help. Into the Wild was released in the fall of 2007 and I immediately fell in love. Being a high school senior, I could barely go another week living in my parents' house. The movie spoke to my sense of adventure and inspired me to hike the California portion of the Pacific Crest Trail upon graduation. I made it from Mexico border to northern California without much incident. I saw rattlesnakes and black bears, experienced dehydration, but nothing happened that made me fear for my life. Somewhere in the Lazen National Forest in northeastern California, I walked around a bend in the trail only to be startled by two people sitting on a rock dressed in nearly all white. Their faces were dirty, their appearance disheveled, and the man had a long, unkempt beard, Both seemed to be in their 40s. They looked like the couple who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. What struck me as odd about the encounter was encountering anybody at all. I frequently went days without seeing a single human being. Their white clothes could be explained away by the need to escape the California summer sun, and their scruffy appearance could be explained away by the fact that most thru-hikers abandoned personal hygiene on the trail. After I said hello, they said nothing and simply watched me as I passed. Even that I didn't find odd. I talked it up to them being foreign and knowing not what to say. I camped a few hundred yards off the trail that night, as I always did. Following bear precautions, I hung the leftover food I had cooked that night from a tree approximately five feet off the ground. Packing up camp in the morning, I noticed the food wasn't there. I immediately thought a bear had entered my campsite, and so I began to look for paw prints. I didn't find paw prints, but I did find boot prints circling the campsite, two pairs of them. One of those prints led right up to the rope which the food was hanging. And I thought of the couple I had passed earlier, and everything clicked. I quickly packed up and left. My mind was racing the entire day, but I figured the couple was simply hungry. If they had nefarious intentions, they would have come for more than the food. Several days passed, and my mind was at ease again. begun to circle my campsite with sticks to wake me in the event of an intruder animal or otherwise and i awoke in my tent one night to sound of those sticks crunching i grabbed my hunting knife and i tried to relax by telling myself that in the middle of nowhere the source of that noise is much more likely an animal than a person then i hear frantic whispering It was impossible to tell which direction the voices were coming from. Being in the dark, surrounded by trees a hundred miles from the nearest city plays tricks on your senses. I debated yelling out, claiming to have a gun, but instead decided to be silent and retain the benefit of surprise. I heard footsteps circling my tent and was ready to slash and whatever opened it. But just like that, it was over. No more footsteps, no more whispering. I lied, frozen awake in my tent until sunrise and opened my tent to find nobody there. The only evidence something had actually been there were the boot prints, the same as before. Several more days passed and I was now in Shasta National Forest, probably 50 to 75 miles from where I first encountered the couple. The trail became more or less a goat trail. Being on the side of the mountain and above the tree line, I could see the trail winding for miles in front of me and behind me. I stopped for water in the rare shade and noticed two hikers miles behind me. All I could see were two white dots moving along the mountainside. I immediately said out loud, Fuck this, this trip is over. And I pulled out my map and looked for the nearest town, which appeared to be Castella. Castella located around I-5. The only problem was that it was 25 miles away. I hiked well into the night, trying to gain as much ground as possible. I kept losing the trail and decided to set up camp, this time far off the trail and into the forest. I got in my tent and tried to sleep, but every little noise kept me awake. After a few hours in my tent, I heard the telltale signs of another bad night, the footsteps, the whispering, the sticks breaking. Sound travels far in the absence of other sound. I knew they were close, but wasn't sure how close. All I could think was, this is fucked up. This is so fucked up. God damn it. Finally, a flashlight hits my tent, lights up the entire thing, and goes dark. I my tent and climbed out carrying my knife, yelling nonsense into the dark. It was sort of like that cliche scene in movies where people in the wilderness hear sticks breaking around them and then the camera pans around the trees because people have no idea which direction the sound is coming from. Then I heard footsteps running towards the tent and barely made out a figure moving in my peripheral vision. I turned and ran deep into the forest. I tripped several times and ran into several trees. After running for approximately five minutes, I tripped, rolled, and came to a rest next to a downed tree. I got under the tree trunk and laid still. I saw the flashlight moving around in the distance. I laid under that tree for hours, and I was certain that they were gone, but I didn't move. Eventually, birds started chirping, and I knew sunrise would come soon. Once it did, I made my way back to the trail. "'abandoned my campsite "'and walked the rest of the distance to Costella "'where the Pacific Trail crosses I-5. "'I hitchhiked my way "'to the town of Mount Shasta "'and spoke with the police and the Forest Service. "'They put me up in a motel for the night "'my parents drove from Oregon "'to pick me up the next day. "'I followed up with the police and Forest Service "'months later, who told me there had been "'similar reports of items disappearing from campsites "'throughout the surrounding National Forest. "'However, There had been no other reports of the terrorizing that I experienced. As far as I know, nothing ever came of the couple. It was a Sunday, early in the morning. I live in the suburbs, but my parents own a farm that I really enjoy going to because I get to see my dog. Her name is Molly. She's a mutt, but she's not a tiny dog by any means. At that time, I felt very safe around her and would often take her for walks in a forest that was nearby. The day started off like any other. Me and my dad got in the car, drove around for a while and arrived at the farm. I immediately got out of the car and hugged Molly. My parents always got angry when I hugged her since I would smell like her for the rest of the day. I put her leash on her and asked my dad if I could take her for a walk. And he always thought that we would just go down a road and back, but I always found it more interesting to take her to the forest. I always felt a certain kind of peace and relaxation there that was unmatched by anything else. So... We took a turn and headed to the forest. Usually, when we got there, I'd take her leash off so she could explore on her own. And most of the time, I'd carve my name into the trees or look for anything interesting. I was playing baseball with some rocks and a wooden leg, presumably from an old table or something. Then I heard it. Molly was barking at something. This wasn't unusual when we were in the forest, but I thought it was a fox or something, some kind of animal, so I quickly grabbed the wooden leg like a weapon. I knew that if it was a fox, I wouldn't attack it, but I had a sense of security while I was holding it. And I called out, Molly, Molly. But she just kept barking. This was super strange for me. She always came to me when I called her. So I followed the sound of her barks and stumbled across a scene. I'll never forget. There was a man, probably in his late fifties, half naked, carrying a large machete in one hand and holding moonshine in the other. This was the first time that I'd even stumbled across someone in the woods, let alone someone half naked, carrying a big ass machete. And he was completely ignoring Molly and hacking away at the ground for some reason. I didn't really know how to handle the situation. Even now, I have no idea how I would have handled it. Sir, are you okay? I asked in confusion. I don't think I understood the seriousness of the situation at the time. He turned around, revealing his face, and he had some of the clearest blue eyes I've ever seen to this day. I could see them so well because they were wide open. "'Come here, boy. Look what I've dug up.'" I was afraid that if I didn't listen to him, he would start chasing after me, and that was something I wanted to avoid at all costs. I got closer but kept a good distance. I didn't see anything except for an empty hole. He returned to hitting the ground with his machete, occasionally taking sips from the bottle. And I used this window of time to get my dog and started walking away slowly as not to notify him that I was leaving. But then I took one final glance at the man. His head was dug deep in the hole. I was intrigued, so I kept looking. I know how stupid of me. He finally got up from the ground, and I was shocked when I saw he had a bone in his mouth. I have no idea what animal it belonged to, if it even did belong to an animal. I had seen enough, and I started sprinting with my dog. As we ran, I heard him laughing, and then I saw something flying from the corner of my eye, and it was the damn machete. I heard him yell, Damn it! And this made me run even faster. I know the forest very well, so I wasn't afraid of getting lost. I ripped through branches and bushes until I got out of that forest, but I didn't stop sprinting until I arrived at the garage where my father was testing out lights on our tractor. I didn't tell him a single thing about the man since I was afraid that he'd get angry and wouldn't allow me to walk Molly anymore. Needless to say, I never went to that forest alone ever again. Man with the machete and a bone in his mouth, let's not meet again. My brother and I are quite avid outdoorsmen. We took my nephews, three under the age of 11, out to teach them some basic survival skills. We had a great time for the first four nights. The last three were where things got weird. Night five. After a long day of fishing and off-roading, we decided to take my nephews out snipe hunting teach them some basic tracking skills and how to find their way back to the camp if they got lost in the dark. Early on in our snipe hunt, I picked up some rocks and broken twigs and followed the pack around three meters behind. Every minute or so while my nephews were distracted, I would throw a stick or a twig into the brush nearby and we would claim it was a snipe and continue the hunt. Unbeknownst to them, we were actually following a deer trail. After about 45 minutes or so, my nephews were so caught up in the noise that they were carefully scanning each sector. My brother, in order to distract them, suggested we turn off our flashlights and listen. We do as he suggests. It's completely dark. I ready my arm to throw a rock, but before I get the chance, I hear a twig snap to my six o'clock. I turn around and shine my flashlight in the direction of the noise and see a leg recoil into the bushes. Imagine the scene from Signs where Mel Gibson drops his flashlight and, upon turning it on, sees the alien leg pull back into the cornfield. My brother and I give each other a nervous glance and then shout, Hello? into the empty woods. No response. We decide to head back to camp and do not hear anything else unusual besides the occasional twig snap all night. The twig snapping are not out of the ordinary, but it was unusual because there was no other noise. I'm used to owls, some bats passing overhead, and the occasional squeak. There was nothing. Night six. We spend all day hiking the area and are enthused to find we cannot see anything or anyone within at least a mile or two of our campsite. We have the whole area to ourselves. We go fishing later in the early stages of evening and then head back to the camp. My nephews are eager to go snipe hunting again, but my brother and I are exhausted from the day's adventure and decide to hit the hay. I wake up to the sound of scuffing in the dirt outside of our tent. I assume it's an animal come to scavenge our campsite for any food that we may have left out. I lay there listening for a while as the sounds seemed to fade into the distance. I'm slowly dozing off when bang. I hear our water pot getting knocked over around 10 meters from our tent. With that, my brother sits straight up and looks at me. We both under the assumption it's a bear or some sort of feline predator. I should mention we're both armed. He has a Beretta 92FS and I have an HK 45 if that matters to anyone. My brother and I give each other a nod of approval before we ready our weapons, muffling the noise with our sleeping bags. As quickly as I can, I unzip the tent and shine my flashlight into the darkness. I can't see anything and am blinded. Like a dumbass, I unzipped the bottom set of the zippers for the mosquito screen and not the tent door itself, which caused my light to reflect back at myself. I quickly reached to unzip the tent itself while listening to whatever it was running away in the darkness. We shine our lights into the darkness and check out every sector thoroughly to no avail. Our water is spilled. A few entire bags of graham crackers are missing, but nothing very consequential. I'm immediately struck by the missing food. I should mention our food was hung about 20 feet in the up and 10 feet over a nearby tree as there's no shredded bags or containers and no evidence of a bear on the tree bark. We chalk it up as an animal and lock the food in the truck for the night and head back to bed. Day seven. We wake up to find footprints in the dirt around our campsite. My nephews and brother are all wearing Timberlands with the distinguishable four-pointed star prints and I'm wearing Merrells. These are not tracks made by either. I head off in my truck while my brother and nephews go fishing. And I drive the trails in each direction for about five miles and spend a good amount of time looking through the binocs to see if I can spot any homes in the woods that might explain someone checking out our campsite. There's nothing as far as I can see. Night seven, my brother and I decide to stay up a little bit later and discuss even sleeping in shifts. We're concerned about someone coming into our camp again. It could be possible that someone accidentally stumbled upon our site on a hike, but the leg from earlier while we were out snipe hunting and the lack of response we got when we called out had us on edge. Any camper with common courtesy would announce themselves, so we've either camped on some angry hermit's land or we're dealing with some crazies. We sit around the fire until around 1 a.m. talking, relieved that there seems to be a lack of activity that night. We determine that he'll nap until three and then keep watch till orange o'clock and then I'll keep watch over camp while him and the boys hike for the majority of the morning till we're a bit more at ease. As he's headed to bed, we hear a loud guttural roar that lasts for about five seconds. It sounds around 30 meters away in the woods. I proceed to grab my light and go into the woods while my brother stays at the camp and keeps my now-awake nephew safe and calm. I go in the direction of the noise, not knowing what to expect. The noise didn't sound anything like an animal I've ever encountered in all my years outdoors. I assumed it had to be a person. Normally, I would not recommend an offensive at night in the woods, but... It sounded so close and safety of the tykes takes priority. I follow the sound of running feet into the darkness. I can see bushes moving and twigs swaying ahead of me. After running for around 10 minutes, I realize that I'm being led on a loop back to camp, the same loop we took on the snipe hunt a few nights ago. I urgently increase my pace and I see the light of our campsite ahead and the out of a figure. The figure comes out of the woods ahead of me and turns right, and I should mention the section of woods I ran into and came out of was behind our tent. My truck was on the other side of the tent, and my nephews were locked in the truck with my brother standing outside. Their view of the exit I came out of was blocked, and I holler for them as I come out. I look everywhere, but the figure seems to have disappeared. Let's just pack up, my brother says, and I agree. I stand watch while they pack up the site, and we're out of there by 2.30. On the drive, we see the remains of several animals littering the road, less than a mile from where we were camping. Now, none of these other animals were here during my earlier search of the area that day, and I don't care to think about what would have happened the next night. But to you, creepy person or persons in the woods, let's not meet Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blame It On The Aliens. I hope my COVID voice was not too much of a deterrent for you guys, but I absolutely love this theme. Um, anything creepy in the woods has my attention as I grew up in a rural area and can definitely relate to anything woodsy. So I hope you guys liked it as well. And like I said, spooky season, Halloween season is here. If you have your own creepy stories, send them my way at blame it on the aliens at gmail.com or you can click the link in the description to send a voice message and I would love to have you on the show. If you have not already um, rated me five stars, wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple or Amazon Music, please, it would mean the world to me to have a five star rating and hear some feedback from you guys. Um, and I would greatly appreciate that. And I cannot wait to be back next week with another episode and just a little information about the pod i'm going to be releasing on um tuesday mornings instead of sunday nights i just feel like for my schedule for you guys' listening schedule i think that will be a better gig so look out for me for tuesday mornings and i will be back next week